Welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture with people in Maine and beyond. Brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. on 89.9 FM and at WERU.org. My name is Holly Cedarholm, and I'm your host for today. We'll be discussing the organic dairy crisis in New England and how it's affecting farms here in Maine. I'm joined by Jackie Martinez Perkins, who grew up on a small, award-winning organic dairy in central Maine. She has worked in various aspects of the dairy industry, including as an artificial insemination technician and a herd manager before becoming the organic dairy and livestock specialist for the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, known as MOFCA. Her work includes supporting organic dairy and livestock operations through management and organic certification considerations, as well as helping to develop policies regarding organic production. Jackie, welcome to Common Ground Radio. Thanks for having me today. I'll also be talking with Annie Watson, who is a co-owner of Sheepscott Valley Farm, an organic dairy farm in Whitefield, where she lives with her husband, Mike Moody, and their three young sons. She currently serves on the boards of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and the Northeast Organic Family Farm Partnership, and she is board president of the Maine Dairy Industry Association. Additionally, she is CEO and a founding partner of the Maine Organic Milk Company, a startup working to bring organic dairy processing to the state. Annie, welcome to Common Ground Radio. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start by situating our listeners to the dairy landscape in Maine. Annie, let's begin with your farm. Can you tell us about the size of your farm, what you produce, and how you sell it, and how this compares to the typical dairy farm in the state? Sure. Um, well, we are, I would say we milk about 60 cows on our organic dairy farm, which is relatively average for an organic herd size um, in the region, and especially in Maine. We ship to, um, we are members of the co-op that own the Organic Valley brand, and all of our milk ends up at Stonyfield Yogurt. So it is trucked down to London Dairy, New Hampshire, where it's processed into yogurt, and oftentimes shipped right back to Maine to be sold on our Hannaford and Shaw stores. Um, and we get our milk picked up every other day. Um, we milk twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. We have um, several part-time employees, and my husband and I run the farm together as well. Um, and we do all of our own cropping. So we put up our own hay, um, we make as much of that as possible. We do buy-in grain from companies in Vermont. Um, and we also um, rot- intensive practice rot- intensive rotational grazing, which is sometimes a bit of a mouthful, um, during our grazing season. So we are a pasture-based uh, farm, and we have made tremendous investments in the past several years into our infrastructure. Um, we have two bedded pack farms, one for our um, milking herd and one for our heifers. And we just recently last spring completed um, a retrofit of our tie stall barn into a, what is called a swing 10 milking parlor, which improved the efficiency of our milking system tremendously. Jackie, I'm wondering if you might paint a little more of a picture about how many dairy farms there are in Maine and maybe add some information about some of the statistics, like are they mostly conventional? How many are certified organic? Are they small to mid-scale? Those sorts of things to to populate a little more of the dairy landscape. The amount of dairy farms in the state of Maine is a little less than 200. And there's 65 farms in Maine and a smattering in New Hampshire that MOFCA certifies as organic. 
and there are some farms that Mofka doesn't certify as organic, um, but they are they are dairy farms, um, and they they contribute to the overall landscape of dairy farming in Maine. Uh, so the the majority of these days have have converted to organic dairy farming. Annie mentioned that she has 60 milking cows. Are most of the farms in this area around that size? So the the so the size of the, the dairy farm in Maine uh, on the grand scheme of dairy across the United States and globally um, is pretty small. Um, the largest dairy farm in Maine is 1,500 to 1,700 cows, give or take a few. And uh, there are farms conventional confinement operations in the United States that have 10,000 cows. Um, and when we talk about the size of dairy farms, we're talking about how many cows that are actually being milked. That doesn't include any of the replacement heifers um, or calves that are born, um, which can fluctuate. Some people don't raise their own uh, and that's why it's measured via milking cows. So Maine typically has pretty small farms. Um, our largest organic dairy farm is 200 cows. Uh, and of course, the more cows you get, the more land base you need when you're organic to be able to pasture them. So um, it's it's supposed to be a self-limiting system. I also wanted to just talk a little bit more about where the milk is going in Maine before we dive into some of the questions about why farms are being impacted in, in the region. So Again, Annie, looking at your farm as an example, you said that you sell liquid milk and then it becomes yogurt, which is then sold to grocery stores where people might be doing their regular shopping. So when I'm at um, the neighborhood farmer's market or at a co-op, I might see some farm branded liquid milk, maybe in a glass bottle. And then there's also like you're, you're doing, your milk is contributed to these larger branded products like the Stonyfield yogurt or Horizon butter. So on average, where is most of the milk in Maine being sold? Is it being largely sold to these processors or are lots of farms selling it directly to retailers themselves? What's sort of the, the marketing split? Um, there, at this point, there are um, 166 total dairy farms in the state, uh, which is alarming because it's not very many. Um, we have 155 that ship wholesale and we have 11 who are produced who are considered producer dealers and that means they produce their own product and sell it themselves. Um, there are more producer dealers in direct sales but they don't necessarily report to sort of our main milk commission essentially which is where I get a lot of my information because they they don't they don't need to frankly. Um, and so I do know that that number is creeping up and it's becoming a much larger part of our uh, dairy economy than it has been before, which is a really great thing. Um, but it also adds to the alarm because the reality is, is that our large dairy farms and our dairy farms in general, even a, what's considered a small farm like mine, uh, we contribute to the um, dairy, not just the dairy economy, but the agricultural economy um, in a very um, substantial way. So milk is the, I think, the, I think dairy is, excuse me, dairy is the number two agricultural product in the state. Um, and that means that we're covering like huge swaths of land when we talk about keeping it in agricultural production. And I think that's sort of the most alarming thing to a lot of us in this community and in this industry. When we talk about losing farms, 
the infrastructure and requirements that are necessary to make a commercial dairy farm run efficiently and correctly are so expensive and vast that it's very unlikely that a farm that goes out of business will be able to come back into business if they if it's if it's lost. So the the reality of losing these farms is that they're not coming back. Um, and I think for for me as a young person, youngish person in this industry, it's been especially alarming to have these major crises just continuously happen one after another, whether it's a market disruption like the Horizon announcement and Horizon's departure from our region, or like are the you know quickly rising costs of inflation that have just affected about every aspect of our business. It's getting much, much more difficult to to run a farm efficiently, effectively, and to continue sustained business. And so you look around in your neighborhoods and your communities and you see what the loss of a farm like ours might not be noticed at this moment in time, but once it's gone, it, that loss will be felt all around. Let's unpack a few of the, the issues that you've just mentioned. So um, Horizon, as you just said, was one of the contractors with dairies in the area. And then they made an, an announcement that they were going to drop 89 farms in the Northeast, including 14 in Maine. And then while not in Maine, Maple Hill Creamery, which is another large processor, issued a contract termination to 46 farms in New York State. So when you're milking 365 days a year and you're getting your milk picked up from your bulk tanks every other day. Um, and one of these contract announcements where all your milk is going is issued. What happens to the farm? Like what happens when they no longer have a contract or a place to sell the fluid milk? In the way that dairy is these days, it's, it's a, a major blow. It, it is, it is straight up. Uh, sometimes the, the end of a lifestyle the end of a business uh back in the 70s and 80s you could switch your milk company but because consumers aren't buying dairy products the way they used to and fluid milk specifically the way they used to um it's not easy to shift companies um and it was a huge lift of the other two organic milk companies uh in the area for them to figure out if they could pick up the farms that were being dropped. Um, so it was it was a good six months of the dairy farmers that I work with, biting their nails, freaking out, um, figuring out if they could scale back or diversify, if they had to go work for a mill, get a, a job at Walmart. Um, and, and frankly, dairy farmers are dairy farmers because they want to milk cows. Uh, they wouldn't be doing it if that's not what they wanted to be doing. They, they like cows, they want to milk cows. Um, they enjoy agriculture, they want to be outside. And frankly, there's not a whole lot of money in it. So they're, they're doing what they're doing because they want to. What are some of the factors that cause such distributors to leave the region? Uh, so the, the basic decision that we heard was the company wanted to be climate friendly. Um, so they went with where their processing plants were located, drew a geographic circle. And if you fell outside of that geographic circle, you were on that, the um, chopping block. And if you fell inside of it, you were fine. Um, 
when I went to the Northeast Organic Dairy Producers Association meeting that year, there were farmers that I talked to that fell just inside that line and their neighbors fell outside of that line. Um, and one person lost a contract and the other did not. So. And you mentioned that uh, there are other organic dairy processors um, such as Stonyfield that are still working with Maine farms. What are the processors that folks are selling to? Uh, that's uh, Stonyfield and Organic Valley. Annie knows a little bit more about how Organic Valley sells some milk to Stonyfield um, to, to help them balance their own loads with each other. Uh, it's, it's some legal way that it gets done. Currently, all the Organic Valley milk in Maine goes directly to Stonyfield. It's, it's a rare occurrence that a load of milk, of organic milk from Maine does not go directly to Londonderry. Um, Organic Valley has a um, contract with Stonyfield to supply the milk for you know, their products. Now, Stonyfield has six producers in Maine that they ship directly to Stonyfield. Um, and it's, it's a worked out agreement that they've you know, had, I think, in place for 25 years. Um, that Organic Valley essentially manages all the farms and we're part of the national co-op that is based in Wisconsin. And Stonyfield has a very small portion of their supply that they, they source themselves. And so those at this point are the only two um, options for a wholesale organic market. When it comes to organic farming, there are a lot of considerations that organic farmers need to undertake to, to sell to these companies to get such contracts. So in, it includes following the National Organic Program um, organic certification rules. And one issue that has been on the table for organic farmers in the past and is unique to organic certification is the origin of livestock rule. Some organic farms, it's been said, have been exploiting this loophole um, in the USDA organic rule to continually transition in non-organic livestock, which could lower their cost of production. And this has been cited as something um, that creates an uneven playing field for organic farmers across the country. A final rule was published in March 2022, and the implementation of it is required in 2023. I'm wondering if either of you can speak to how this regulatory loophole has impacted farms in Maine. It is essentially destroyed our market that was once considered a niche market. And when we talk about farms that are exploiting this rule, we're talking about large scale dairies that have oftentimes have a conventional herd in addition to an organic herd. And what they're what they were able to do is they were able to transfer a calf that was born to an organically produced organic producer, an organic cow, transfer it into their heifer facility and raise it conventionally but then only for a certain amount of time be able to bring it back into organic certification before it calved out and started producing milk. And that loophole, I believe it's about $800 a calf. When you're talking at the scale we're talking, that's the $800 is the difference in how much it costs to raise a calf um, organically versus conventionally. When you're talking about the ability to bring animals onto the organic market very quickly as needed, in these large-scale dairies, it produced a glut of milk that flooded our organic milk market and essentially crippled us and made it so that we are much less of a niche market now that we're competing with farms that are milking several thousand cows organically. And that, I think, 
made the biggest impact about seven years ago when we were short on milk in the market. Um, and I really will be perfectly honest, I don't think the market has ever fully recouped that loss and that, um, that issue that, that, that came out when we had just a glut of organic milk and whether, you know, many of us like to refer to it as fake organic milk because it's oftentimes not regulated as heavily as our milk in the Northeast, due in part to the fact that we just do not have the pasture availability or land access to be able to have a, you know, 5,000 cow organic dairy in Maine. But it's it's been a, a really frustrating thing that we've seen the ripple effects of now. And we currently are with the, you know, depressed pay price because the market isn't as niche as it once was. You are listening to Common Ground Radio on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and on today's show, we're discussing the difficulties that organic dairy farmers in Maine are facing with two experts in the field, Mofka's organic dairy and livestock specialist, Jackie Martinez-Perkins, and organic dairy farmer and Maine Dairy Industry Association Board President, Annie Watson. So I'd like to jump into um, one of the biggest issues that farmers are facing right now. And Annie, you just mentioned that that's the pay price. So essentially the cost of organic production is not being covered by the price that the farms are being offered for their products. Why is that happening? Well, I our cost of production is steadily been rising over the last 10 years, especially in the last year. It has, because due to inflation, it has just rocketed. And that means like our grain price, I think has been has doubled, um, if not to 75% higher than it was in 2021. Our cost of fuel has certainly doubled as everyone has, has felt that in some respects. And just those two pieces alone, not to mention you know, everybody else being able to raise their prices in terms of the vet, in terms of just, you know, the, the things you need like paper towels and soap, all of the cost of everything has risen so much. And yet our pay price has stayed down where it was, has been for the past, you know, six years or so. So this is a, an issue that I think we were dealing with at the farm level. We've been dealing with it for the past several years, but the past year in particular, because the cost of inflation has just gotten out of control, we are now facing a serious crisis where our cost of production is not even close to what we're being paid. So on average, we're getting about $30 per 100 pounds of milk. In the Northeast, our cost of production, I believe, is closer to $38 or $39, and that is on a, a very efficient, efficient farm. Um, so it it is a, a discrepancy that is making many farmers of all ages and size farms really take a step back and say, what can we possibly do other than potentially go out of business? This is my future farmer here. Excuse me. Annie was speaking about uh, pay prices um, and over the past several years. So the farmers get paid what we call base price, and then they'll get premiums for things like uh cleanliness, which is your milk quality, and uh, components, which are butter fat and protein amounts within the milk. The price that Annie mentioned is is kind of a, a rough estimate. Uh, the base price is actually lower than that. So farmers have been bumping along, working really hard to get their, their uh, quality and component pricing as best they could. But with recent inflationary issues and frankly, the price of grain, 
um, it's made it impossible for even the people that are paying very, very close attention to those, those quality and component benchmarks. Um, and some farmers that we have talked to from, from across the Northeast, not just in the state of Maine, uh, who do pay very, very close attention to their spreadsheets and want to invest in their future and in their farm are considering culling up to 25% of their herd in order to feed the rest of them. Um, so, so there are those issues where before you could squeak by because you were getting paid a little extra than what we call base price. Um, now you just can't. The cost of food has been locally exacerbated because it's not just grain that farmers are having an issue with. It's also climatic conditions like the drought in Maine that have led to reduced yields for seasonal pasture and hay. Can you speak to that impact as well? Well, I think the, the drought most especially, what it's looked like at the farm level, from, from my perspective, um, on our farm, during the grazing season, our animals are very well cared for and getting everything they need if we have the adequate weather patterns and the soil is getting the adequate, adequate amount of water and we've been managing our pastures in a way that has made it a part of our sustainable system. When you have an event like a drought affect a good portion of that time, the animals are supposed to be you know, doing what they do best and eating grass and making milk. Um, it sets you up, it's like a domino effect. It, it affects your breeding, it affects breeding. It's harder to get cows bred. It affects um, their body condition. It changes so many things that once you hit one domino in this set, it sort of, it just continues on. And so going into the winter, I think the most worrying thing for some of our farms is that the cows who should be looking great and having really great body condition, don't necessarily because they didn't have that vibrant grass all summer that they could really build up their reserves. Add to that the lower yields we've been getting for our dry hay or baleage hay combined to make it uh, a worrying situation where you don't have enough feed to get through the winter, meaning everyone is adequately fed. Um, and at that, that point, you, you do make decisions about calling your herd so that you don't have as many, as many mouths to feed, literally. Um, and you have to make some really tough decisions because having fewer cows to feed also means you have fewer cows to milk. And it's a cycle. So the thing about dairying that I think is difficult for people to really understand is that it's such a three-year cycle based on calves growing into the milking herd and going through adolescence and then turning into the milkers. And so it's such a large part of the cycle that one hiccup in that cycle can have effects for years. And that's really the, some of the questions that we're weighing now. People are feeding less grain because it's so expensive. But the reality is if you feed less grain, you make less milk. So how do you ever recoup those losses as they're seen on the farm? And it's, um, it's, it's just another sort of bump in the road that farmers at this point do not, don't have much more capacity to handle any more bumps. So add to that, the, price being at you know down below what it should be um it's it's really like a cocktail of disasters <laughs> and i know everyone's really sick of hearing that like there's another dairy crisis but our dairies are such a humongous part of our agricultural communities it's we cannot deny the importance that they play for our state and our region and the, the loss of small farms is that loss is going to reverberate out 
and it's there's not going to be anybody in the state who's a, who's not affected if we lose any more of these small farms. So Annie had talked about a three-year cycle, and I was recently talking with a farmer who was in turn talking with uh, an investment financialist uh, who who said, "Oh, hey, great! You've you've made your goal. You've you've gotten a dairy farm now." sell it and move on. And the dairy farmer just looked at him like, what are you crazy? Why would I do that? Um, so it's, it's even beyond that three-year cycle that gets, that can easily get disruptive. It's, it's a lifestyle and you're, you're messing with people's lifestyles when, when, uh, when prices like these happen. So why is the pay price so low and why are farmers not being paid more when their cost of production is so high. I guess I'm wondering, one, from the the buyer standpoint, can something be done? And two, are there protections um, in times of catastrophe for organic farmers the way there are for some other agricultural disasters? I can speak for, at least to what I understand about Organic Valley, um, is that the the glut of milk that's been on the market has really affected our co-op bottom line because this cheap milk coming in and taking the place of, you know, um, opportunities for processing where we may have been, you know, managing that as our, from our supply, um, that threw a big wrench in the plans, I think, for everybody. Um, when we're dealing with a co-op that is based in the Midwest and is a national co-op, which is organic valley it's much more difficult to have any sort of um, diversity in terms of our pay price regionally because it's a national co-op uh, we're a farmer run national co-op and so i think that has added to the, the challenges whereas in the midwest things are difficult yes but because they have more access to grain companies they have more options they're not feeling the pressure quite as much as we are in the Northeast and as much as the farmers out in out West are, frankly. Um, and so it, it adds to, you know, a, a much, it's a much larger problem um, of sustainability. And what are we doing to actually measure the, measure the sustainability of our farms? And we need to look at it in a regional way. And to answer your question, no, there are not protections for the specifically organic producers. Um, we do have, you know, that I think the, the federal government especially recognizes the importance of our dairies. And so there are protections like the dairy margin coverage program that are for our conventional producers and they're based off of our conventional prices. Um, and when conventional is in, they're having a depressed price, the, those, those programs kick in for our, our organic producers as well. What happens is when conventional prices are doing relatively well and keeping up with the cost of inflation or at least rising in turn with it, um, those emergency programs do not kick in. And so it's meant that our, our organic producers have felt it especially hard because there has been no production um, in place for us at the federal level or at the state level. But this, there are initiatives that MOSCA is, is working on um, along with other stakeholder groups throughout the region and throughout the country on putting together some sort of protection for our farms. 
because the acknowledgement is there that, they, that this is not something the market alone can fix and that we're going to need um, some sort of band-aid or some sort of protection for our producers before we all end up uh, going out of business. Um, and a point to what can the consumers do to help the situation? Um, realizing that, that dairy is um, high in nutrients, uh, it's, it's superfood, um, it contains good fats, uh, if you're into exercising. Um, it's healthy for your kids. Uh, there's added vitamin D. Um, and it is one of the more cost-effective ways to feed your family. Um, so just to plug, reach for dairy because um, uh, the cows put the, the vitamins and the minerals in it um, and it doesn't have any added sugars. Uh, lactase is a very natural sugar. And if you do have trouble digesting lactose, um, there are ways to aid yourself. I'd also like to add too that I re recognize, especially that organic dairy can be cost prohibitive for some folks to buy, especially with the rising cost of all of the other products at the grocery store. Um, another way to support if you're not able to support financially by buying a product is by contacting your representatives your federal representatives in Congress and in the Senate and also your state representatives. And to say, you know, these, these farms are important for me. These farms are important for my community. We need to protect them in the best way possible. That is another way that people, consumers and individuals can help without necessarily having to put any financial outlay out there. So I just wanted to plug that as well. <laughs> it's all appreciated. Your local farms do appreciate all the work that is being done on our behalf. I'd like to kind of split those into two and follow them each a little bit. So starting first with eating dairy and getting more local organic dairy on your own table, what are the ways that people can purchase from farms? Um, can they purchase direct from farms and how do they get it from a grocery store when it's packaged in a way that might obscure that it's from Maine? So uh, I would look for the, look at the Mafka website for anyone that's selling raw organic milk. Even if the milk isn't directly from Maine, I would still suggest buying organic Valley Stonyfield where you can find it um, because that is trickling down and supporting our, our organic dairy farms, uh, regardless of um, where it's at. Um, and, and as Annie said, uh, Stonyfield yogurt, is main milk. Um, uh, there are Maine being a raw milk state um, where it's not a nationwide thing. Uh, there were some restrictions from our uh, wholesalers that um, prohibit their dairy farms from selling raw milk in addition to selling it to the wholesaler. Um, so. Uh, that is a big reason why you can't just walk up to your local organic dairy farmer and purchase milk out of their milk tank. Um, their milk company is, is uh, restricting that so that if any kind of foodborne illness were to happen, uh, it wouldn't be traced back to the company. If you do wanna buy raw milk, I always tell people, know your farmer, know their milking practices um, and uh, 
don't be afraid to enter into conversations with your farmers. Um, another handy way that is an offshoot of supporting your local dairy farm um, is if you have the opportunity and the land base to be able to raise your own meat, um, consider buying some bull calves from your local dairy farm. Um, it's inevitable that bull calves are born and finding a good home for them to grow up uh, is um, a, a bit of a challenge sometimes. So uh, if you're looking for something to raise, um, consider, consider your neighbor. Speaking of um, sort of bolstering your food supply at home, I'm wondering, since you both um, I'm assuming have access to a, a lot of milk, Jackie growing up on a dairy farm, Annie currently farming. Um, for folks that may want to be ambitious and take on some larger milk related projects, I don't know if you have any recipes or tips or tricks I'm thinking about if folks may want to make their own yogurt or cheese or anything like that, if you would point people in a direction to start exploring if they're very excited about supporting local milk? I mean, your Google is your greatest <laughs> help. And because we all have it attached to our phone, I'll be perfectly honest, it's quite easy to make yogurt and to make ricotta just using milk and lemon juice for ricotta. Um, it's all about temperatures and there's the process is really what's key. I mean, we have uh, so many wonderful cheese makers in the state as well. The Maine Cheese Guild is a wonderful place to where they all collect together and um, that would be a great resource if you're interested in potentially finding some cheese making classes or things like that. Um, experiment at home. It's certainly not, it's science, but it's not rocket science. So it is something that anybody can do for sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the greatest thing about dairy is that it can be used in so many ways, whether you're drinking it just straight from the bottle or you're turning it into some value-added product. If you make butter, you end up with whey. There are lots of different things to do with whey. If you even make alcohol using whey, um, there's all just, there's so many innovative practices that are out there now. Um, and I think that somebody who's interested in looking into that, there are so many resources. Uh, Mafka offers, offers them many opportunities to connect with people that are interested in teaching some of these processes. So I um, would suggest again, turning to Mosca in a lot of ways, <laughs> full of it, good information. This is Common Ground Radio on WERU-FM 89.9. Today's discussion is focused on organic dairy farming in Maine and how shrinking margins threaten to force family farms out of business. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and my guests are Jackie Martinez-Perkins of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, Mofka, and Annie Watson of Sheepscot Valley Farm. I was just saying before the break um, that having a couple of little kids, um, I really enjoy making butter. Uh, it, it starts out as whipped cream, so you can kind of pause and uh, have some un, unsweetened whipped cream that the kids can, can play with and then uh, uh, and then whip it down into butter. It, it whips up into whipped cream and then falls down into butter. Um, and uh, you can salt it or not. Uh, biscuits, all that holiday cooking that you want to do with some some homemade butter is is what, one of my favorite things. That sounds delicious. 
Um, shifting back to folks who may not want to make their own butter for whatever reason and would like to support dairy farms at the, the legislative level, um, you all mentioned that there might be some relief programs or at least advocacy for relief programs in the works. I'm wondering if you could speak to what type of short-term relief and longer-term support for dairy farmers is needed, whether that's on a local, state, or national level. The short-term uh, relief package that is is being sort of pushed and, and um, hoped for at, right now in um, in our legislative bodies is focused on uh, essentially the trade disruption that's occurred and the rising cost because of it, um, and it's that most specifically our grain costs. Um, that would be a band-aid, but a very very needed band-aid. Um, in terms of longer term programs, there are so many initiatives right now that are trying to tackle this sort of behemoth of a, of a problem. And we do have a farm bill that's coming up. And that I think is what is incentivizing so many groups and companies to really come together and think about what would work in terms of a, some sort of long term support. Um, no dairy farmer wants to have to take a handout from the government in order to keep farming. But the reality of our situation is that the unfettered capitalism in our country has just made it so difficult to practice our farming at the smaller levels. And the economies of scale are just outpacing us in such a rapid, in such a rapid way that we really need to think about ways of better protecting our small farms because those are the farms that are run by families, that are run by your neighbors, that are run by community members. Um, and thinking about ways that we can support all of our dairy farms, but most especially our smaller farms that make up the fabric of our rural communities. So one of the things that's being pushed for in the Farm Bill, the USDA's Agricultural Marketing Services uh, is in charge of the cost of production for various commodities. Um, they have never done a cost of production for your organic um, or organic dairy. So one of the big pushes for the Farm Bill is to fold that into the purview of the AMS, the Agricultural Marketing Services, and have that done on a regular basis um, and to do it regionally so that the differences between the Southwest, the Midwest, and the Northeast and the Southeast um, can be better understood. The ripple effects of that, our policy can be driven by that actual information um, and even organic rulemaking. Um, that was one of the things with the, the new proposed rule of the organic livestock and poultry uh, standards um, was what are, what are the real time uh, costs of any of this rulemaking? Um, and uh, there aren't any good answers. So having AMS be in charge of that uh, is one of the things that we were pushing for. Are there ways that um, constituents can get involved in helping um, advocate for some of those changes in the farm bill? Uh, yeah, it's as simple as calling up your representatives and letting them know. Um, a lot of times, unless they're hearing it from constituents, they're just they just don't know um, because they have a lot on their plate. So the more times they hear it from people, the more that they'll realize that it's a thing they should be paying attention to. 
And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a phone call. It could be an email. There are so many services now that you could even text from your phone. So it's a it's a really um, it's a much more accessible means of communication for constituents now to get in touch with their representatives. So we're speaking a little bit about um, the regionality of dairy and how each part of the country seems to have its own system. And when dairy is treated as a national entity, it might um, have negative impacts on the smaller farms, for instance. So would regional marketing be part of the solution, perhaps, for dairy farmers in the Northeast? And and what are barriers and opportunities if that would be a solution? It most certainly could be a solution, but I do recognize that it is not a solution that the major processors are necessarily interested in pursuing. <laughs> um, we do have a federal milk marketing order system that is set up now for on the conventional market. That in itself has its own issues. Um, there's a push for federal milk marketing order reform that is in process. Um, the Maine Dairy Industry Association has been doing some work on that front. Um, in order to understand how the milk marketing order works, you have to basically have a PhD in it. <laughs> it's incredibly complicated. Milk pricing, milk forecasting, it is a, it's a lot to learn. Um, and it's a cert, it takes a very specific amount of reporting that I think the hesitation to set up some sort of marketing order for organic, I think it comes from the fact that you are required to report on your price. You're required to report on a lot of the things that maybe are what you consider to be part of your negotiation skills. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a much larger conversation. The organic industry did not need a marketing order when organic dairy became a thing. Um, but the reality is, is that we're now at the mercy of a market that is very different than the one we started with. And when we have three, essentially three companies that are controlling the market, it's much more difficult to look at it with a grassroots lens um, than it once was. So I think it's going to be an ongoing struggle for us as an industry to decide how much we want to get into the weeds on this or not. But I, I do believe that having some regional, a regional pricing scale would absolutely make a difference. Annie, you're part of an effort um, to, to band main milk producers together. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, uh, the first time Horizon decided to leave some farms in Maine uh, was about six years ago. And that sort of spurred this conversation among stakeholder groups about like, what can we do? We don't have any processing in the state. Um, from their Maine Farm Man Trust that their direction applied for a local, local food promotion program grant through the USDA to do a feasibility study into organic dairy processing in Maine. Um, out of that study, we saw that there is an opportunity for a market. There are many consumers who would absolutely support and purchase a main organic milk brand. Um, so from that feasibility study, some of the farmer advisory panel, myself included, formed the main organic milk company as the phase two of this project to try to see what could be done for to support organic processing in the state. 
Um, we were hoping to start with a co-packing method. Some relationships have sort of fallen apart, unfortunately, from co-packing, which further exacerbates the issue that we don't have enough processing in the region. Um, and so now we're in a position of really trying to make the decision as to if we want to build a plant or if we really want to try to negotiate with an existing processor in state. Um, so it's been a long road. It's been several years of, of pushing and learning and <laughs> um, really trying to build something without um, without much to go on, frankly, other than the knowledge that we have a really wonderful product in the state. Our milk is some of the best in the country in Maine. Um, and that is something that I firmly believe should be a part of our community tables. I believe that having our milk just in yogurt is not necessarily the best use of it. And that if we were to put out a line of organic milk from Maine, that there would be consumer support. Um, and it would just be another way to help support the sustainability of our organic dairies in the state and potentially the processing needs of our region. So I guess looking forward, um, you mentioned that organic dairy farming, dairy farming in general is sort of in a three-year cycle. And right now, sort of what is the outlook for farms who are facing these compounding crises? Are you sadly expecting to see more organic dairies exiting the industry in Maine? Uh, yep. Um, so the... It's it's not only the raising cost of everything, it's that dairy farmers in general tend to be aging out. Um, we have we have an old dairy population. Um, and because the price and the structure of how the farms are, are uh, dairy farming is 365 days a year, it's very hard to get a vacation. Um, it's not a huge draw for young people. Um, they have to really, really be dedicated to wanting to milk cows. Um, and, and frankly, to being isolated. Um, and it, that is a special personality um, that is not ubiquitous. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, are, we will most definitely lose some farms. And it is, like Annie said before, it's terrifying and it is sad. Um, and I do not want to see it happen. I support uh, Annie and the farmers that she works with in, in every endeavor and getting a processing facility up and running for organic milk. Uh, but that's, that's just to start. You're looking at at least one to $2 million. Um, it's a lot of stainless steel. It's a lot of regulatory tape. Um, and, and it's, it's terrifying for the banks to want to lend any of that money. So there's been, uh, lots of, uh, efforts for grant writing. And as Annie said, co-packing, trying to get in with an existing plant um, and use some of their space. So uh, even just to use a warehouse and put the equipment in it is a struggle. Where do we locate that warehouse? How do we find trucks to, to do it? And then, oh, wow, the price of diesel. So <laughs> um, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, it's not just milk the cow and, and put it in your glass, uh, which is, you know, the, I think where consumers are coming from sometimes um, can be uh, the very old McDonald's style, that uh, nostalgic kind of um, idea of uh, 
very, very small farms and we just go to grandpa and get a glass of milk. Different, regulated, hard. In the immediate future with some farms potentially calling up to 25% of their herds, as Jackie said, and just kind of riding through the storm of what would happen um, cyclically if farmers, you know, culled their herds and then the following year had less milk to sell. Um, I'm sort of wondering in the final moments that we have together, if there are other options for feeding animals that are less reliant on imported protein sources, the soy and corn from away, especially being in a state that doesn't have necessarily the pasture that places like Colorado or, or larger places in the Midwest might have. But I'm wondering if um, a shift from grain fed to more grass fed organic dairy is possible in, in Maine. It's certainly uh, difficult in Maine. I can speak for our farm in that getting our, we have such diverse soils in our state, um, even on our farm. <laughs> It can be really challenging to come up with a um, a protocol and a program for improving your soil fertility, um, especially given that we now do not have access to hen manure anymore and uh, lime is incredibly expensive. It's another thing that is financially challenging to um, really reach that peak fertility, which would in turn grow better quality feed, which means you are less reliant on grain. Um, I do think it's possible though. I know I'm, our farm is working with Mofka to potentially pilot some ideas about improving soil fertility. Um, and we have so many wonderful resources within our, our communities, both in the Northeast and especially in uh, Maine with Mofka and Maine Farmland Trust and NRCS. We have a sort of a large gamut of um, technical assistance advisors who are willing to help with this question of how do we improve our soil fertility to therefore improve our both our crop yields the sustainability and in turn our you know our carbon sequestration so i think we've reached this point in our society and in our agricultural community and in our greater community where we recognize the value of soil um, and so i think really getting your hands dirty <laughs> so to speak and getting deep into the that science will ultimately be of benefit to our farms. Um, and yes, like you said, make us less reliant on grain. Um, I, my hope is that we don't lose such a critical mass of farms in the next three years that we end up losing more of our dairy community, which in turn affects all of the infrastructure that is a part goes along with it. Um, so my hope is that turning to the soil and trying to improve the, those pieces for us and our uh, farm in particular will have um, an impact both in the short term and ultimately in the long term. And so I think that's that's the hope that I'm holding on to is that really investing in our soils will hope you know improve our environmental impact as well as our um, you know potential business impact. So. Uh, I second Annie's improving our soil. Um, however, one of the, from a cow health standpoint, one of the things that grain does bring in is the vitamins and minerals that our soils are lacking. Um, so it, it is uh, vital in some senses that we, we do have either very robust 
uh, forages um, in addition to feeding minerals of some sort um, or a, a grain source. Um, some alternatives, uh, and I would, I would caution, do not feed much of it, um, but some alternative sources of carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates that Maine has is potatoes. Um, you would have to find organic potatoes, of course, uh, but um, cooked potatoes can help supplement uh, a cow's ration a little bit if uh, you, you need a boost because you, you're low on grain. So some of those things that we have in state. There's also um, some studies around uh, kelp reducing methane emissions from cow burps um, and uh, working with some growers on, on the coast of Maine to, to source the right kinds of kelp to feed the cows to reduce the methane. Um, kelp's also a great source of vitamins and minerals. So that has, has hopes in my mind of a nice local source of nutrients. Well, thank you both for taking the time to chat with me today about the struggles that Maine's organic dairy farms are facing. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I guess my final thought would be that when you are driving through the landscape of Maine that we all love so dearly, to maybe stop and reflect on the realities of what makes that land so beautiful. Um, our the rolling fields that you see are not there by accident. They, they take a tremendous amount of management. Um, it's a part of our, like I said several times today, it's part, it's, our dairy farms are a part of our rural communities. They are absolutely an integral part of our agricultural community. And when you're buying dairy products or fluid milk at the grocery store, you're not just supporting the farm family that likely put that there. You're supporting many farm families from vegetable producers to potato producers. It's all part of this ecosystem that is so important to our state. And it is getting harder to hold on to the values and support we have as a state for our small family farms. And it is of vital importance that we maintain them to the best of our ability and that we make this a community that supports and understands where our food comes from and how important it is to have local access to that food. So it's just, it's, a, it's appreciated. It goes further than you can think. Uh, my final thought is a little bit of levity. Um, you need poop to grow vegetables. So even if you don't eat, eat, you don't consume dairy, you still need lots and lots of poop. I think that's a great place to end, Jackie. This has been Common Ground Radio, which airs on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM. Archives of previous episodes can be found on weru.org, as well as on the WERU app. A special thanks to my guests for joining me today and for the incredible work they are doing to support dairy farmers in the state. 
I'd also like to thank my co-host, Caitlin Barker, and the show's editor, Claire Balland. Stay tuned for more great programming.